Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey, kids. You are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, October 9th, 2018. There are fireworks going on outside, as I'm recording this a couple of days before, and there's a lot of fireworks going on in um, the United States, too. A Supreme Court justice has been confirmed that a lot of people don't like and a lot of people think is a savior. Yep, it's a pretty surreal time that we are living in right now. And so I thought what better fit to open this episode than the Pixies, whose surreal lyrics often cover offbeat subjects such as extraterrestrials, incest, biblical violence, and monkeys going to heaven. Listen up. We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was the Pixies with Monkeys Gone to Heaven from their Doolittle album back in 1989. Wow, yeah, this is crazy times that we're living in. You know, um, I think the last time that stuff was this crazy was in the late 1960s, which I actually kind of remember because even though I wasn't a child of the 60s, I was a child in the 60s. And I remember people thinking that um, the world was going to end and we were all going to be lying in the gutter with our throats slit open from ear to ear. And sometimes it almost feels like that's a possibility, which I certainly hope not. Anyway, yes, let's talk about happy things. Ooh, like the fantastic guest artist that we're going to be bringing you in just a few moments. So let's um, start with a song that he handpicked to open this episode, which also contains a small clue to his identity. Let they who have ears, let them hear. (laughs) 
back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Vampire Weekend with the song called Oxford Comma from their Oxford Comma album back in 2008. And you may be wondering what Oxford Comma has to do with anything. Well, you're just going to have to wait a couple of minutes to find out because now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! Finally, I'm sitting here with a fellow radio free Brooklyner. I don't know why it took me so long to get another one of the family here. And I'll be getting to know him as you will be. So please welcome writer, poet, librarian, and RFB radio host, VJ Ramanathan, aka R. Nathan. Thank you, yeah. So, Vijay, I always ask this of everyone when we first begin our chat, is how and where we met, but the answer is Radio Free Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? It's a really great process. I started in November of 2017. I I proposed the show, The Truth to Power Show, and I was so happy when it was accepted, and it gave me a a lot to work with. Cool, cool. I started in November of 2016. Oh, wow. So it's going to be two years for me, you know, in 
in November. Yeah, so great. I'm trying to figure out but where we met. Did we, if we met at a mixer, if we met yeah, at I a fundraiser. So, yeah, so Vijay, are, are you a native New Yorker? Were you born and raised here? Yeah, I was born in Staten Island, New York. You're Staten Island? Yeah. Oh my God, the outer borough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's very interesting uh, childhood. I grew up in Staten Island and uh, I went to a Catholic grammar school. Oh, wow. From first through eighth grade, which was, you know, challenging in some ways because, you know, being a, a son of uh, Indian immigrants. Uh, and, you know, my family at that time was practicing uh, kind of a liberal form of Hinduism. They were uh, not strict practitioners or anything, but they followed a guru called Satya Sai Baba, who was an um, uh, Indian guru who preached unity of all religions. And my mom had gone to a Catholic university growing up in Bombay, so that's why she sent me to Catholic school. She felt oh, very confident okay. in that. So you, your whole family is from Bombay originally? That yeah, whole southern, That's southern India, right? Well, so it's like, well, Bombay, I guess, is more cosmopolitan, but uh, they, were, they were actually born in Kerala, but we're, so which is more, uh, it's mainly Malayali speakers, but they're Tamiliers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. I have no idea what that is, and yeah, I'm going to ask you to explain it. Yeah. Um, I embarrassingly have very little knowledge of yeah. Indian culture. Yeah. I do know there's a differentiation between North and South. Yeah. Now, would Bombay be considered like the New York of India? I think so, yeah. I think Bombay okay. and Delhi are the two major the, the cities most... that are most cosmopolitan. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that, yeah. so those two cities, would they also be a place where other people on the subcontinent would want to go to these places to live? I guess so. Is, I mean, it, Madras is it considered desirable? Pretty, yeah, Madras too is pretty... Uh, the major city uh, that I visited. Uh, I recently visited New Delhi, actually. I'd never been to New Delhi until 2015. Oh, wow. So I, I okay. recently went there. Um, but Bombay is our Mumbai now, it's called. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, they changed yeah, it. Yeah, Mumbai. 50-year 50, 50 uh, anniversary of independence, they changed it to Mumbai. Yeah, the original name. So did all your family emigrate here, or was it just your mother and dad? Some of the other uh, people in my generation uh, immigrated to... United States, but I, I don't really, I'm not that close in touch with a lot of them. Mm. I mean, my cousin I keep in touch with, and uh, but other than that, I'm not too close in touch okay. with. Okay, so but your parents came here. Came here that, uh, well, I guess what I meant to say, did other people in your family come here besides your mom and dad? Uh, not, not, no. Oh, okay, so not. you were separated from a large part of your extended family then by growing up in the United States. Yeah, I guess so. They I, visited, yeah. Okay, did you go back and forth a lot when you were growing up? Yes, and summers away. Okay. I, I actually, um, you know, wrote a little bit about summers away in India, and you know, I uh, I talk about my culture and my heritage. Although I've now since then I've become Buddhist, uh, so I, I've kind of pushed away from some of the traditions that mm. my parents kind of followed, and uh, I consider myself like a Western Buddhist. I follow like a Western tradition of Buddhism. Got it. So very much acclimatized to. Kind does of the does American. that cause a rift between you? No, and actually, guys? my mom is. chill with it. Yeah, my mom's very good because she's she models for me. Uh, spiritual investigation, you know, being able to explore different religions. I was saying, you know, Sai Baba organization was about unity of all religions. So uh, she was very interested in different philosophies and different uh, religions and, and exploring and, and for self-development. So when I discovered uh, Kanapa Buddhism, which is a form of Buddhism in the West, which is uh, includes um, how to take the Buddhist, Buddhist teachings to heart for practical living. Mm -hmm. She was very encouraging. Wow, she yeah. sounds like a very kind and open-minded person. Yeah, yeah. Um, so would I be correct in assuming that your parents are educators? Yeah, yeah. my mom was a teacher uh, for, the, for elementary school, and my dad was a doctor internist. 
but they're very liberal and, and very, uh, you know, cosmopolitan and, you know, highly educated, you know, and all that. And, uh, and you speak yeah. the, what, what is the language of Well, I guess, I guess our native, like I was saying, my native language actually is Tamil. Hindi is the, mm-hmm. is the national that language. That I've heard of, I've heard of yeah, Tamil. Yes, so Hindi is being, and Tamil and all that. But uh, they never taught it to me because they felt uh, worried growing up that I would become, uh, I would be, be put in some kind of uh, ESOL or something like that. I don't know why, they just felt nervous about me speaking another language. So. That is very yeah. common yeah. with first generation yeah. of immigrants. My family also did this. My family came from Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and they purposely did not teach Spanish to my brother and me because there was so much stigma attached to mm-hmm. them, and they had to fight so much racism. They didn't want my brother and me to experience that. But, of course, the backlash of that is you, don't, you can't speak the language of your culture. Yeah, so especially you get, you get it both ways. Especially going with Sanon, which is pretty predominantly <laughs> Italian American. Yes, you know, yes. You didn't, she didn't want any reason for people to mm. feel that I was different. But I did go through a period of time where people did feel I was different, and a kind of bullying period. It's why I have the podcast named Fish Out of Agua. Yeah. You know, it's all the people who were always the other in the room. So, right. VJ, do you have siblings? Yeah, I have one older sister. Yeah, she's, uh, she lives in Maryland and... DC area. Okay. And she works for the FDA. Oh wow! 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 Yeah. So you guys are very accomplished. Yeah, I think thank that's you. I think that's stereotypical um, yeah. Indian right? <laughs> culture. <laughs> yeah, very driven. Yeah. Very driven. Um, so were um, arts encouraged in your family? Was artist exploration encouraged, or did you guys were you guys um, counsel to do the straight and narrow, be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer? No, my, my I mean, for my sister, I think she felt more driven to go into medical profession and such. But I felt very. Uh, my parents were very encouraging in what I wanted to do. So growing up, like, I would read a lot of graphic novels and comic books. So, and then they would be like, oh, why don't you read a classic? And then for every classic you read, you'd get a few more comic books. So it's just kind of funny because there's, I'm reading either way, but they encouraged me to, to explore and to read different things. And I, I, was, I, was, I always appreciated that. that they, so they bribed you. It was yeah, like, eat, me, eat yeah. more vegetables, get more ice cream. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was fun. Yeah. So uh, did you know at a very young age that you were different, that you were an artist or a writer? Yeah, I think so. And my, parent, my mom actually brought me to this uh, audition for a Seaview Playwrights Theater, which is, uh, I, like, I think, in the fifth or sixth grade. She brought me to an audition. I did some uh, acting in a play called Just Those Stories, and that kind of it sparked that flame in me for the arts and at that time for acting, but uh, moving forward into, into reading and, and writing and stuff like that. So it sparked in me a real interest in the arts that grew in uh, high school and college. So I wanted, I, I went applying for colleges, actually one of the places I applied to was Carnegie Mellon for directing, uh, directing plays. Wow. So my dad was very encouraging of that, even though I guess in his heart he felt like that wasn't the best career for a stable career or whatever. So uh, he kind of expressed that, but he also was encouraging. He brought me to the audition, and I audition. I didn't get that specific uh, well, program, well, but at the same time, he wow. was very encouraging of that. We'll, yeah. we'll talk more about yeah. that, that part of, of your trajectory in a little bit, but yeah. I am just floored yeah. and smiling about how encouraged you were at a young age because that is totally... Um, Different than many of the people that I've that I've spoken to that are that are of first gen, yeah, you know, immigrant exactly, parents, yeah. and um, I also am wondering if you had grown up in Mumbai, would uh-huh. it be? Do you think your experience would have been the same, or like the arts would have been encouraged for you, or your parents might have been more uh, 
apt to try to push you on a different path? I think, I think my parents, like, uh, as I was saying, very liberal and very cosmopolitan, they would have encouraged me to explore. And I think my exploration would have led me eventually to the arts because from a very young age, I'd become very fixated on, you know, even in the, in the third grade, I started writing my first novel. Really? Something. It was very young, maybe fourth grade, I don't remember. It was very young. Uh, I started writing this novel about, because uh, I was into Oz, they would, they would read to me, even pre-reading, they would read to me Wizard of Oz in the series, the subsequent books. They read me a lot of those books, so um, I, I created this character called Professor Wazit, which is very derivative, but, you know, Professor Wazit, hey, yeah, I was a kid, I was like third grade. Yeah. So uh, Professor Wazit in the land of Waz, professor would create this microcosm in the microcosmic world, and then he, um, he went into the world in order to save the prince who had been kidnapped, so he injected himself into this microcosm, and then, uh, you know, he followed him through all these different locales wow. as he searched That for sounds yeah. very complex yeah. for an eight-year-old. Yeah. Did you, was it a graphic novel? Did you illustrate it as well? Yeah, I illustrated yeah, oh, yeah. so you draw too? I, I, I drew at that time. Wow. Yeah. I drew some That's so cool. Well. Do you still have it? No, I, I couldn't find <laughs> what, it. What, your you mom know? didn't yeah, keep I it? Know. I don't know what happened <laughs> What's to wrong it. With her? I kept it for many, many years. And yeah, then but, you know, you move and I, yeah, sometimes, sometimes things just like, yeah, yeah. disappear. So did... Wow, so you actually completed a, a graphic novel. I didn't complete it, but I, I got halfway through it. And then, well, that's pretty yeah, I, darn I, I good. I got pretty good yeah, blew all through it. Yeah. So when you were in um, grade school, were you like the darling of your arts teachers? Uh, I mean, a little bit. I mean, I think I struggled a little bit with, uh, you know, um, moving into high school, I think. Uh, it's hard to say in grammar school, but in high school, I, I joined uh, some of the spring musicals and such, and mm. I did some of the acting and such, but I struggled with the popularity stuff. Like, in other words, like, I felt like Sing, for example, which was a program that took place in my high school in Tottenville, um, high school, uh, there was very much the popular kids were doing it, and mm. you had to have a, a big social group in order to, uh, you know, really write the plays, or they were all student-produced and student-written. And you were in high school in the I 90s? Was, yeah, 96, I graduated. Okay, so, so early between 90s. 92 and 96, I was in high school. So, yeah. Was it very cliquish, like, as in high schools usually are? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. And uh, I think that um, I did find my own niche or my own clique or whatever. Mm. I did participate in student government, so I'd get elected mm. a few times oh. to, you know, some positions in student government. But I, at the same time, certain subgroups and a lot in the theater, you know, they had to be in that group. And, and yeah, it's just... Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, the weirdos usually are the yeah. ones that gravitate to the drama club. Yeah. But it's also interesting to note that within the weirdo group, there are weirdo, like, sub, <laughs> like subgroups, yeah, like subreddits, yeah, yeah. like subreddits. Yeah. Um, did you have smooth sailing through high, through high school? Did you have any instances of bullying? Uh, no, in high school, no. In grammar school, I did. Like, in grammar and junior high, I did. But in high school, it was much better for me. I found my, the friends I've kept till today, you know, it's not the group of friends that I've, kept in touch with since until today. Well, that's fantastic. We have deep friendships we have wow. since Wow, your crew. Yeah, The yeah, DJ exactly. crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually interviewed one of my best friends uh, in one of my podcasts. He'd written The Other Son by Alan Avedano, his name. So he, uh, he's my best friend since high school. Yeah. Wow, and I'm glad to hear that your high school years were, were pretty stable because, yeah. you know, the stereotype of, of Staten Island is yeah. unfortunately a lot of racism. And so I'm happy that that was not your... Your experience. Yeah. So when it came time for you to go to college, you had already mentioned that you applied for directorship at Car yeah. Carnegie Mellon. When you, were, when you were in high school, were you writing and directing plays there? In my final year in Tonville, I tried to do, I tried to do a night at the theater, uh, a night at the theater, which was independent, like self-driven. And I told this in some storytelling classes. Basically what happened was, you know, I, I approached the drama teacher and I said I wanted to direct 
a one-act play for like a one-night performance. And I'd arranged with some of the students to audition for his No Exit by Jean-Paul Sartre. Mm. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, existentialism. Yeah, like, yeah, I was in that existentialist phase. So, we all uh, had yeah, we one. All have we one. all yeah, had yeah, one. Exactly, exactly. So I directed, uh, I, came pretty, I came pretty far into rehearsal period. But then uh, what happened was um, one of the teachers kind of, I had a little bit of a misunderstanding with one of the teachers. And he told me, uh, he wanted me out of the AP political science class because, um, with a quote, uh, a lack of ability and lack of performance. So I was a little upset at that. He said in a kind of sing-songy way, lack of ability, lack of performance. And I got very upset about that. And then later, I was with this uh, student, and he grabbed a pineapple from a, from a store. And we were like, why don't we put this on someone's car? And I decided to put it on the teacher's car. So we put it on the teacher's car. You kind of split in half and, and put it on the car. It was kind of a prank or whatever. And then ultimately, I had to confess because, you know, uh, some student had witnessed it. So I had to confess to that and confront the teacher and tell him that, you know, uh, I didn't like how he had treated me and how uh, he'd behaved, you know, in that moment, that he had been someone I had respected and that he had kind of downplayed my achievements. Oh, wow. And then... Uh, I saw you pineapple this car. <laughs> yeah, my pineapple this car, yeah. It was a pretty, pretty strange moment. And uh, I, I, I sometimes write about it. I have a memoir piece called The Pineapple Incident, where mm. I talk a little bit more robustly about that. Well, you, um, yeah. you stood up for yourself, which yeah. was good, yeah. right? And, you know, it's, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have done it. But think about it, you could have done worse. You could yeah. have taken that pineapple and put it in his gas yeah, tank, I know, I know. and his car would have been ruined forever. Yeah, so, I tried to moderate it, but at the same time, I think that I, I could have, you know, been, I obviously now have better communication skills. We could yeah. have gone to the dean and, and talked to, talk to someone about it and, and stand up for your rights and all that. But uh, I but, think the point came across. But and, you know what? Yeah. Pineappling the car is funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would actually be a little proud that I yeah. did that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And, you know, it's interesting how the things that we go through when we're growing up are traumas, so to speak. You know, yeah. the blips, the scars become the fuel for so much of our writing as, yeah. as, as we mature. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So talk about um, college a little bit for you. Where did you end up going, and, and how was that? So I went for a few years to Vassar College. Fancy! I had a lot of trouble there, actually. Really? Yeah, what I kind of trouble? Through, I went through some depression, and I felt like I wasn't relating well with the students. Why? Uh, I just It just felt like, I think at that time, I was starting to have a little bit of occurrence of uh, depression, manic depression I ended up getting diagnosed with. Oh, okay. So I went through some problems with depression and mania. And you were 18 at this I time? I was like 18, yeah, I was okay. about 18. I just turned 18, and I went through a period of time where I was like, kind of going through some suicidal thoughts, and I was going through some oh, dear. mania and stuff like that. And I remember, like, one significant instance was in the second year, I'd seen this play called uh, a student-ridden play uh, that uh, I felt was uh, kind of uh, inspired by my real events. Real events happened to me in the first year. So uh, I felt very, like, upset by that, almost, like, gaslighted by that, that they were pretending like this was just a normal play. And I saw a lot of events that happened to me the year before. And that kind of precipitated me to have a little bit of a nervous breakdown. Oh, you know? wow. It was very bad, yeah. Wow, that, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even, I don't even have, you know, a real confirmation that the person who wrote the play, you know, was inspired by my, my past. It may not, it have, may been, not have been. It may not have been, but I think more than likely it was, because the more I think about it, like, 
It's just very on note. What, well, what if, if, yeah. if that's true, it's kind of cruel. Yeah. And, um, urgh, yeah. Urgh, I want to bite that person. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so how did you, did you reach out to someone? Did you reach out to your parents? How did you, how did you get through this episode and get diagnosed and get help? So ultimately my sister had called me one night and I was kind of talking a little strangely and she asked me, you know, what's your name? And I wasn't able to answer the question. I was just a little, I was so many thoughts were going through my head. Oh, you were going through a I was manic going through, episode. like a real serious one. Yeah. Manic. So many things were going through my head that, you know, I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I didn't quite understand the question. And finally the, 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 you know, medics came and they brought me to the hospital and wow. they fully diagnosed me with bipolar. They probably yeah. were afraid you were having a stroke. Because yeah. One, one, of the, one of the symptoms of having a stroke is that you are, you, your speech is confused. Yeah. And yeah, it would be very unlikely to have a stroke at 18, but yeah. it's possible. Yeah. And wow. ultimately, uh, you know, like, uh. I left Vassar because I felt like that. The environment is very insular. You know, it's mm. kind of in Poughkeepsie. It's not mm. in a city area. Right. So I ended up transferring to Rutgers University and commuting. And uh, I write a lot about, like, the experiences yeah. in my writing. I might read a poem that deals a little bit with that wow. and this kind of thing. And, yeah. I, and I'm, I really commend you for being so open yeah. about, you know, having mental things that you had to, you know, break through and to go forward. Because yeah. for a lot of people of color... We're not allowed to to have these episodes. Yeah. We're not allowed to have anything and any mental um, confusions. Yeah. And a lot of times we don't get family support. Yeah, that's also a reason why my parents became more and more supportive of me to explore and to understand. They felt like they felt their heart, their heart really felt felt me. You know, I think that they understood and they want to always be compassionate and supportive of. Wow, me. wow, yeah. you were a fortunate man. Yeah, thank you. Thank be- you so no, much. because yeah. like I said, for a lot of people, that is the elephant that gets pushed into the closet, and yeah. we don't speak about it. And you're not supposed to. It, it's considered a weakness. Yeah. You know, a fault in your character or a fault in your parents or something. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you were that. able to get all the help you need. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you, and I and, ended up getting a master's degree. I finished the bachelor's, I got a master's degree in library okay. science. And then I got hired by Queen's Library. Wow, so wow. It's been great, yeah. So are you still um, battling that today, or is it like... It's, it's subdued. Now I've gone older. You know, I'm 40 now, so it's kind of subdued. Mm. And it's not as serious. If I have any kind of problems, it's, it's quick maintenance that, you know, just adjusting yeah. the medication yeah. levels is the kind of thing. Sometimes yeah. I just think the changes bet- of maturation between becoming going from child teenager to what it is to adults can sometimes yeah. be overwhelming for certain people that have highly tuned emotions. Exactly, I mean, exactly. I'm not yeah. a doctor, but that's my no, opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a second puberty because you're going through the your, your awakening of sexuality and such and, and relating with people, and that's almost like a second puberty, mm. you know, where you're mm. really becoming your own, becoming yeah. an adult. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were at Rutgers, what did you end up majoring in? So I ended up majoring in English literature. Oh, okay. Literature, yeah, but I did okay. a lot of theater stuff as a, as a minor. Mm. Yeah, I did a lot of theater. I did. I directed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh, that's a fantastic play. That's a play. great play. Yeah. Great play. And so you had a it. love of directing from back then. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I haven't gotten too much into like, theater directing since now. Like, I did improv for a little while, and I pr- appreciated that as well. Okay. Yeah. So you were involved with basically mostly theater all through your... You were in the Rutgers at New Brunswick? New Brunswick, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. A lot of arts, arts yeah, people yeah. go to that school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chris it's, Gethard it's, actually was, uh, was in, in, my, in yeah. my school at that time. It, so you graduated from there? Yeah. And you said before you, you have a master's? Yeah, I did a master's in uh, St. John's University. For uh, Here in Queens? library science, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. What made you want to get into library science as as a day job? So career? I ended up. I had a failed teaching career for a little while. At first, I started with teaching. Ah, okay. Because my mom had done teaching. This, this like, is when you, know, you graduated. When from I graduated Rutgers? Rutgers, I was doing substitute teaching, and then I 
uh, I applied to teaching fellows uh, for um, uh, English teaching, mm -hmm. and then uh, that was like a horrible experience. That was such a negative experience that I was like, I want to do something similar, but not quite not teaching. Mm. So librarianship. My sister actually suggested I do librarianship, and I'm so happy. I'm so pleased to have been working at Queen's Library for 10 years or 12 years. What about yeah. library science uh, appeal to you? Yeah, I think it, mainly because it had some similar goals. My, my goals in education and my goals in literacy and help sharing my love or passion for literature mm. uh, was what attracted me to librarianship, although ultimately it's become a little bit more of a you know, uh, technology-driven and, you know, helping people with computers and such. You know, it's not so much I'm at, I do a little reader's advisory, but now that I'm a supervising librarian, I mainly manage on a more of a management wow, level. Wow. Yeah, and leadership level. Yeah, I yeah. guess people don't really think about libraries that much. It's like, libraries are like, like handkerchiefs. Like, yeah. You don't think about them unless, until you need one. Yeah. And libraries, I think, unfortunately, are kind of like that. They're so in integral and essential to the growth and development of not just children, but, you know, being a community hub for mm. people and also for, you know, for lit advocates for literacy. Yeah. And I think they get, for want of a better word, and thank God we're on internet radio, I can say this, they get the shit end of the stick. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 exactly. They, they get no respect. They, they get no respect. Yeah, and we're always busy. It's a constant flow of people. And uh, especially families, especially people with young children want to mm. bring their kids to the library, get the programming, all this kind of stuff. And seniors come in a lot in troves, you know, especially when they're retired. They want to spend time in the library. They want to uh, read up, catch up on all the reading they want to do during their professional career. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's yeah. the case, yeah. Uh, libraries were a refuge for me. I was yeah. bullied a lot in, in when I was a child and, and a young teenager, and I used to, like, run in the library and, like, hide and just, like, read all the sci-fi and, like, fantasy books that I could find, you exactly, know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I spent a just, lot of days in libraries. I spent too, a yeah. lot of days in other worlds because the world that I was in was not kind to me. Exactly. exactly and, you yeah. know, and, and look how it turned out. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that, yeah. So you were, were you doing other, ty other types of writing while you were at Rutgers? Yeah, I was doing some writing. I was doing, I would always be writing something. And St. John's, both. Yeah, St. John's. Yeah, I always be writing something. And uh, ultimately, a lot of the writing I did, I, I, I uh, milled and I revised and I became Escape from Samsara poetry, poems, mm. which uh, was the first collection of poetry released in 2016. Oh, okay. So the first collection is mainly like a lifetime's worth or 20 years worth of uh, writing I'd done in poetry oh, okay. uh, that I milled and, and revised to, be, to release in Escape from Samsara. And then I got the 2017, I got the um, uh, Queen's Arts Council gave me a new works grant. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And they encouraged me to write a sequel. So in literally like uh, a year, or actually in 10 days intensive writing, I wrote Celebrity Sadhana or How to Meditate with the Hammer, wow. which is basically uh, Buddhist-inspired poems about celebrities, uh, kind of satirical in ways, uh, about our favorite celebrities like Winona Ryder, Keanu Reeves, uh, Jeff Bridges, all these people who have uh, reputations for Keanu Reeves especially about being nice guys and good guys, mm. and, and Jeff Bridges being the zen uh, dude, you know, I kind of play on these uh, motifs in the in the in the poetry book. Now, yeah. you mentioned before that you had done some improv classes. Had you considered becoming an actor at all? 
Uh, yeah, I think I, I considered it. I considered, mostly I was mostly interested in doing directing, but I had considered doing some acting, but uh, I felt like the, the plays I want to do, the directors in college and such were kind of fixated on, you know, race, you know, like the, they were kind of casting based on, you know, it's hard to get roles as in like Chekhov or something like that because these, you know, they, people kind of feel like, oh, these are Russian actors, they want white people or whatever. And that's so know. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's so ridiculous. It's, yeah. Ugh, don't even get me started. Yeah. That, that's for another show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, use who you have. Yeah, so exactly, what? exactly. So, yeah. so what if everybody's a different damn color? Yeah, exactly. I don't see why. You know, like, I think people have this bias there. Yeah. Exactly. And I look to people like like the public theater, who when they cast Shakespeare in the park, that is about as diverse as, as you can get. Exactly. It's very encouraging. I think uh, yeah. at that time when I, when I was making that decision point, I didn't quite see that many East Asians, uh, you know, in the spotlight. Right. And I felt discouraged. Right. You know? And, and th- we're talking 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Which is yeah. a long time ago, but it's really not. Yeah. Right? Now, if I if I had been coming of age now, I think I would have been more encouraged to pursue Yeah, I think, yeah. I think yeah. you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier that you took some improv classes. Mm-hmm. Do you have any... Um, Thoughts of maybe getting into comedy or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I tried uh, stand-up comedy. I tried it once. Everybody yeah, tried Yeah, everyone tried it once. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think improv taught me so much philosophically, oh, improv actually. is awesome. Where did improv you take your classes? At People's Improv Theater. Mm, I love the pit. That's great. It's a great uh, organization, and I loved improv. And Who I, did you take it with? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember particularly okay. the names of the instructors, but... Uh, and I keep in touch with them. But was this in the early 2000s? It was like uh, it was in five to like 2010 oh, okay. yeah. or 12. Yeah, yeah. improv is so, great. Yeah. Later in life, I did. Yeah. You know, recently. Yeah. 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 So I, uh, I kind of think everybody should take a level, at least a level one improv class. I think it I should agree. be. I think it should be a prerequisite for being a human. Almost, almost mandatory. Like you know, yeah. you have to do it because you really understand the yes and. Yes. Augmenting. Yes. And, and agreement. And cooperation. Cooperation. And, yes. and not and not like hogging the yeah. spotlight. And always, like always, letting other people shine is, is strength. Always, but previously in literature and writing, we were thinking about conflict as being uh, interesting. But in improv, they teach agreement as being interesting. Yes. And I think that's a revolutionary thing, thought process that needs to be, you know, more disseminated. You know? Mm, yeah. ooh, that, that, that was yeah, exactly, that was an yeah. SAT yeah. sentence. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Just, ooh, disseminating <laughs> yeah. on the air. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, did you start? Performing any of your poetry? I started a little bit. I haven't done it as much as I'd like to. Okay. Because, uh, you know, as a full-time job, I don't really have the time. It's to, hard. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I don't do too much spoken word, although I think I'm a little close to the style of spoken word. A lot of my poetry has, like, a little bit of a fiction-esque, mm. um, kind of memoir fiction, narrative-driven. So, so it's not are so... you like, prose poem more? More, more, okay. yeah. I think, a little, I, mean, I think I lean towards more prose poems. I try to disrupt that a little bit. So I try not to become fully prose poem. But I'm definitely, I definitely have scenes. Uh, you know, I definitely mm. have very scenic. You know? Now, how yeah. do you find that um, your day job, does it enhance the artistic side of you or does it inhibit it? No, definitely Queen's Library has been very encouraging of me to do programming. I've done programming readings at Queen's Library. Oh, I great. did four, four readings at Queen's Library, and they've always been like, we'll buy your book, you know, we'll support you. And they've, uh, they've done a lot of publicity for me. You know, whenever I do a program, they, they uh, publicize that, oh, VJR Nathan is uh, doing this program, Truth to Power show. They tweet at me, all this kind of... I feel so blessed by them, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what led you to join Radio Free Brooklyn. First, so this is like a 
four-part question. So <laughs> I guess, yes, you are a host on Radio Free Brooklyn. Your show is called Truth to Power, which you described to me earlier as being a show that you interview mostly writers and poets and other literary folk, and it's the intersection of personal and political? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so this is a four-part question. (laughs) Part one, how did you find out about Radio Free Brooklyn? Part two, what made you decide to do a show? Part three, what made you decide the format of the show? And part four, how has the show evolved since you first started doing it? And don't worry, I'll prompt you. (laughs) Sure, sure. So I actually have a friend uh, through my networks. I made a friend, uh, Pavel, or Pavlo, he calls himself, and he runs uh, another show um, on Radio Free on Brooklyn? On Radio Free Brooklyn. Yeah, he runs another show called Robots vs. Taxes. I've heard of that one. So, yeah, yeah. So he had posted on Facebook saying, uh, you know, they're open period for uh, submissions. Mm. Right, because so, they were still doing seasons back then. Mm, yeah, it was, yeah, they started, and then I, uh, I submitted a, a proposal because at that time, I was going through a period in my life where I felt like I was going home after work and felt a little listless. I felt like mm. kind of like... You know, where am I going with my writing? I just released Escape from Samsara, and it wasn't really getting as much traction as I wanted. And I was like, what am I going to do now? And, you know, I heard this opportunity. I was like, this is a great way to talk to writers and poets and, uh, you know, kind of amplify my voice in some way. So I I submitted a couple of different proposals, actually, strangely enough. Uh, And then they really liked the truth to power. I submitted something else that was more focused on, uh, like, similar to Bushwick Junction uh, motif, because I don't know like, what Bushwick Junction is about people's lives and the decisions they make. Oh, okay. So I, something very similar to that I proposed, like about uh, people's ideologies and how they uh, come, how they come about. So and how like uh, interviewing people about their ideologies and about their belief systems. Mm. Uh, but then I decided I'd go more broad, I guess, uh, to cast my mind a little wider, and I called it the Truth to Power show about you know the personal, political, and how. Uh, Nothing is really private. Everything is kind of interconnected. And really going deeper into the Buddhist philosophy of interconnectedness. Oh, okay. So you get the Buddhism in there, too. Yeah, yeah. And how our personal truth is really where we find our empowerment. Wow. So that's how I really... Wow, that's incredible. So do you do... Do you have how many guests do you have on per show? So one guest per show usually. Although oh, okay. I've done like panel, I've done a panel before. Okay. I did one panel where I had three guests in uh, what time? Yeah. Yeah. So it's been pretty good. And I think that. Uh, over the course of the year, uh, I've been changing a little bit, of kind of tweaking the format a little bit. I went from pre-record to a live format, mm. so I've been taking oh, wow. a look at the format. So yeah, yeah, I've been wow. playing with you, experimenting you, you, you with took it. the leap. Took the leap. <laughs> I think mean, the, the main reason why I did that is because it got more and more difficult for me to arrange interviews mm. and such, and be like, all right, this day I'm free, and are you free? And I was like, if I just have a standard slot every ah, week, okay. you know, just much easier to. Wow. Wow. So you've been doing this show. Now you're, uh, you're going to have your year anniversary uh-huh. in, in November. Yeah. yeah. So how, is the, how do you feel that the show has evolved since, since the beginning? Yeah, so uh, basically my ability to um, keep the conversation going has, has improved a lot. So when I listened to the first few episodes... Like I was, did you cringe? I, I, I listened, yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> I, as I was as I'm doing the show, I listened over the episodes, and I felt like I was kind of saying, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, a lot, and you know, kind of my interview skills improved. So, what would be some of the sample things you would discuss on your show? So, I mainly try to focus on the person's uh, art, what they're doing, like like the poet. Like I try to allow them to speak about their own artistic. Uh, vision. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to have writers who have like a, a real clear vision for what they want and what they're doing, and then uh, 
I try to just enhance that and try to bring okay. out how their personal choices and creative choices are so, political. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, so, because yeah, right. connected somehow to the political realm. You know, okay. see how that choice is very powerful and how that choice or this choice creatively is very powerful. I try to enhance that. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah, I, I, I understand. I, I get it because I can see how there are people that think that everything is political. Yeah. Right, exactly, yeah. and and some people that say that they're apolitical, that's their politics right there. That's their politics. Yeah, exactly. Being apolitical is a political position. Yeah, yeah. Because everything in some ways is connected. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. So, VJ, a little Pascal said that you have some poems that you're going to share with us from both your books. Yeah. Uh, the first one, which came out in 2015 or 16? 16, yeah. Is called Escape from Samsara, and the second one is called Celebrity Sadhana. Yeah. So why don't you just give us a little bit of background about each book and the poem you'll be reading from each. All right. So uh, Escape from Samsara was a poetry collection of uh, poems I'd written uh, over 20 years, kind of compiling them about my own journey, spiritual journey. Uh, taking everyday events through a spiritual lens, this would be a Buddhist lens, and looking at them uh, kind of intimately. And a celebrity sauna kind of continues that mentality, but brings it into the, uh, the forum of celebrities. So looking at uh, the journey of different celebrities and their psychological psychology and their uh, inner lives. Yeah, and through my own interpretation. Okay, uh, without further ado, VJR Nathan and his poems. The first poem is Escape from Samsara, from the collection Escape from Samsara, a uh, title poem. My Dharma teacher told us about a game of make-believe he played with his brother, in which he was Tarzan, meeting the $6 million man, which reminded me of a game I played with my sister called Escape from East Berlin, which she was never into playing. I wonder what make-believe games Prince Siddhartha played when he was a child, because I'm sure Shakyamuni Buddha must have had quite an imagination to have seen the world without suffering, and to make us believe it was in the realm of possibility. I reflect on how the kids from Corona don't want to listen to me when I try and tell them they should draw the faces of Chiba figures proportionally smaller than normal humans, with the eye line in the lower fourth of the face, and how when riding the subway back to my apartment, my father tells me not to take up two seats with my bag because it's against the rules of riding the subway. After I focus my energies on the wisdom of a Buddhist nun who wrote, there is no place that is not pervaded by Buddha in light and mind. I find myself consulting a magic eight ball. This without fail gives me the same prediction. Signs point to yes. Good. Thank Giving you. some snaps. Thank you. Giving Thank some you. snaps. Now the next poem is going to be from Celebrity Sadhana. Yeah. Um, a lot of the poems have to do with the dreams and reflections I have on, uh, uh, of celebrities. So actually I'll read a poem which is the... Uh, which is one of my favorites, actually. It's called um, A Winona Ryder Dream, as directed by Tim Burden. Um, Winona compulsively steals itineraries. Her archives of confiscated timetables and incomplete to-do lists are walls encircling her. Chithulu intrudes upon the scene. Really, it's Johnny Depp in a motion capture suit. He wrestles a tangled web of fairy lights and gobbles paper towers, leaving only crumbs to permit Winona's return from disgrace. Keanu Reeves appears in the costume of Mahasiddha, a wild-eyed beauty yogi wearing only a loincloth, proclaims himself to be a therapist ready to tackle Winona's challenges. Winona tabulates her past actions, transforming them into complex mathematical equations, 
She covers the visible screen with frantically scribbled formulas. An inspired bit of double casting, Johnny Depp enters as a sacked Fifth Avenue guard. He face punches Winona. She falls towards the atmosphere. Keanu menacingly advances towards Depp. His body moves slowly. Oh, so slowly. Keanu's two hands bloom into a lotus flower mudra, and he calls out, Hadouken! The Saxon Avenue guard regresses into Thulu, then reverts to Depp, who laments, crying and beating his chest. Meanwhile, Winona continues to rise higher and higher. Thank you, thank you. More snaps for VJ. Well, we have time for one more. Okay, good, good. So I think I'll read uh, the, a lot. Of, some of the poems have to do with the tabloid motif mm -hmm. that I drew from um, uh, the kind of joking BuzzFeed kind of stuff. The celebrity renunciation you won't believe. You may not have heard, but our sources tell us Joaquin Phoenix, the star of Gladiator, age 42, prepares to spend the next year in retreat in a cave. We were like, OMG, what? Phoenix renounces her, his Hollywood lifestyle in favor of an underground chamber in the Mojave Desert where he expects to achieve complete and total enlightenment. All in all, this is just crazy, and we definitely want to know more. He may deny rumors this is a stunt for a film, but certainly cameras will not be far behind during his retreat. In a letter, Phoenix writes, the universe has been telling me to initiate this very personal project for the benefit of all living beings. Meanwhile, our sources indicate that black holes, such as those formed in the early universe, will explode later today. We're eager to see what impact this cosmic event will have in this ongoing saga. As of press time, noted astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson has not released any statements to confirm or deny these circulating rumors. Snaps for VJ. Thank you, thank you. Wow, your work is very cinematic. Thank you, yeah, BJ, I definitely draw a lot yeah. from, from cinematic uh, motifs and such. And now this makes me want to ask you, what are some of your influences in poetry? I'm not really too much of a poetry reader, per se, but I, I try, started to start exploring it now. But I think definitely the, the, the um, techniques used in cinema have influenced me heavily. Huh. So, yeah. you're, so you would call yourself a cinematic poet? I think so, I like yeah. that. Thank cinematic you. poet. We've, maybe we've just made a, a new genre. Thank you. So let me ask you this question, then. Um, where can we find out more about you and what's coming up for you on the horizon, VJ, with book releases or any other things that you would like to share with us? So October 20th, I'll be doing indie author event at Queens Library Central at Jamaica on 8911 Merrick Boulevard. Uh, I'll be there in the afternoon to sign books and uh, talk to readers. So uh, it's going to take place in uh, Central Library, Queens Library Central. On England Island, Merrick Boulevard. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. They really, really support you. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's just so nice to hear. Now, if anybody wants to buy any of these books, where can they do so? They can look it up on Amazon, Celebrity Sadhana, uh, or How to Meditate with the Hammer. Just uh, you can look up VJR Nathan, uh, and, or VJRNathan.com. I have links to these uh, websites through there. Uh, but you can just look them up, and then the, it's on pre-order. Celebrity Silence on pre-order, but it should be uh, released soon. Oh, great. So pre-orders are a good thing. If you yeah. get a lot of pre-orders, um, that looks good for you. All right, pre-order the book, pre-order the book. So if people want to find out more about you, where you're going to be appearing, or more about your work, where can they go to do that? So I would recommend they go to vgrnathan.com. I tend to uh, promote my different activities there, but also look up on readyforbrooklyn.com. 
slash uh, Truth to Power to find out about my uh, web series, The Truth to Power Show, which airs every Monday at 8 a.m. live, 8 to 9 a.m. Uh, on Radio Free Brooklyn. Are you on IG and Twitter as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Twitter, I believe it's Truth to Power Show, Truth and the Number Two Power Show. And uh, I, Instagram is Mr. VJ, M-I-S-T-E-R-V-I-J-A-Y. Great, so, you have all the bases covered. Yeah, and Facebook is VJR Nathan Poets. So I have a fan page as oh, well. Oh, yeah. wow, I'm going to be yeah. a fangirl. Thank you. So thank you, you. Have, you have website, Facebook, IG, and Twitter. Yeah. You have all the <laughs> ingredients there to start promoting yourself. Thank promote, you. promote, yeah, get thank your work out there. Woo! Okay, you. VJ, so I always ask this question of every person I interview when we come to the end of our time together. If um, you had a word of encouragement or advice for a young person who wants to, who really wants to express themselves and be an artist, who wants to be an artist as their life choice but doesn't know how, either because of the constraints of where they live or the constraints of what what their family may be wanting to do with their life, what would you tell this child? I would say uh, trust the process, like allow the process or the artistic process to unfold itself within them and around them. Always look at, always look at the world as a, as a process, your, your growth as a process, not as, everyone's always about product, 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 but it's all a process. And I think that when you focus on how we're in the process of becoming, how we're, we're growing, how we're engaging with actions, uh, and that this is the narrative of our life, that we should be trusting in that process. We should become, have faith, really. Faith is really key to that, that things happen for us to grow. It can manifest, and it will manifest in a way that is best for us. Have trust, yeah. That was a very Buddhist way to put that. Thank you, thank you, yeah. (laughs) I can see how that just permeates your worldview and everything about you. You have a very serene aura about you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a fish out of agua, VJ. Yeah. Hug on the air. We always end with a hug on the air.
are back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam with a song called Rise from his Into the Wild debut solo album back in 2007, which I thought was kind of a fitting song that VJ chose for his episode because, yeah, he's on the rise. Yay, go VJ! Well, we have some announcements to make. Did you guys know that Radio Free Brooklyn has been partially funded to begin an after-school program with local teenagers starting next year. Please help make our dream of teaching Brooklyn teens about media and media making a reality by going to radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash after school and giving what you can. Each donation is tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law and you will have the fuzzy warm feels from knowing that you've helped the next generation of radio broadcasters and journalists get a head start. Thanks in advance for your support. And if you'd like to be kept in the loop about Radio Free Brooklyn events, sign up for our newsletter. You'll get updates on new programming, upcoming events, interviews, ticket giveaways, special offers on Radio Free Brooklyn swag, and so much more. Just sign up for the newsletter at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Well, kids, that's our show. Once again, you have been listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. And we're going to close with the last of VJ's song picks. It is from the Pixies, so we bookended with the Pixies. The song is called Where Is My Mind? It's from their Surfer Rose album in 1988. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you next week. Stop.